You may be seated. Well, good morning again, Hope Fellowship. My name is Jeff Brewer. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope, and we are so glad to be able to be together, to be able to come around God's word here again this morning. And so I'm going to read Galatians 3 in its entirety in just a moment here, because I want us to see the, the whole of the, the argument that Paul is making in Galatians chapter 3. But I do want to remind you, as Matt already did in his prayer and prayed for, uh, we have a membership meeting tonight um, at 6.30. It will be in the downstairs church office where we were meeting for worship prior to getting back here into the, um, into the worship or to the auditorium here. And so it'll be at 6.30 at the church office in the basement uh, for our membership meeting where we'll talk about the budget, the year ahead as well, and so be able to spend some time taking communion together and praying together. Again, that's at 6.30. Kids are welcome. We're going to keep it from 6.30 right to 7.30, and so that we can have our kids there with us uh, sitting with you. Um, We know sometimes that that might be a little bit of a exciting enterprise for you as a family, but at the same time, we want to embrace the excitement together. So, that's tonight at 6.30. Also, I almost wore my Justin Fields jersey today just, uh, just for the sake, just because, you know, might as well make, wear one for the first start of one of the 36 quarterbacks that have started since Jim McMahon. So hopefully, hopefully he'll stick around for a little while. Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read again the whole chapter. Um, let's take some time here. Now listen, I want to read the entire chapter, and we'll be talking about really the argument that Paul's making here. It's, it's a complex chapter here in Scripture. And so uh, listen in as I read, and then I'll pray, and then we'll spend some time here in God's Word. So Galatians chapter 3, this is written by the Apostle Paul. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it is in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it was those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. 
This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make it the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to the promise that had been made, and it was put in place through the angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies that more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For as many as you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is always useful, that it is always working in us, that it helps us apply these truths by faith. It helps us to see our Savior more clearly. It helps us to see his work on the cross, his defeat of death by the resurrection. Father, thank you that we have this privilege of being able to stop in the midst of our lives and to hear from you by the power of your spirit through your word. And so, Father, I pray that your word would be speaking. Pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, that they would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We need your spirit to work so that we might understand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I saw a Kickstarter project this week. It was a kid's book titled Computer Engineering for Babies. It already has 4,000 backers. It surpassed its modest $10,000 goal, and it's raised $200,000 with three days to go. Clearly, there was a need, people felt, for computer engineering for babies. It's an interactive uh, board book that helps parents and children understand the basics of computer engineering with a simple button and a simple light. And the babies will like pushing the button, and the parents will learn about how computers are made up of on and off signals, or ones and zeros, which involve signals and gates. And if you have no idea how computers work, let alone programming, in six board book pages, this little book will put your baby on the road to being a future programmer, they say. You know, in our passage today, By the questions Paul asks, the Apostle Paul is bringing the Galatians back to the basics. Not because he's wanting to treat them like childish babies, because because they had begun to get confused and they had begun to forget the basics and the basic premise of the gospel by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. 
You know, like the kids' book, in Galatians 3, Paul is taking truth and he's breaking it down to its basics. Doug Moo wrote in his commentary on Galatians, and I think it's so well said, I think it really functions well as our main point here this morning of Galatians chapter 3. And it's this, the way into the Christian life is also the way on in the Christian life. The way into the Christian life is also the way on in the Christian life. And so the way into the Christian life isn't by some, any sort of addition to the gospel like the Galatians were doing, the, the law plus faith in Jesus, but faith in Jesus alone, which leads to a life of faith, the way on in the Christian life. And, and so my aim here this morning is to see how Paul makes this argument to Galatians by just using two statements and two conclusions, kind of a button and a light, two statements and two conclusions, but you can put these things together in any number of ways. They can be confused in any number of ways, but they can also give us encouragement and life and understanding. And so that's my aim is here, is that we have some understanding about what the purpose of the law is and what it's not, as well as what the purpose of faith is and what it is and how that might be encouraging us. So we'll look at two statements and two conclusions from Galatians chapter three. Here's statement number one. People who have faith in Jesus have received the Spirit. People who have faith in Jesus have received the Spirit. Now, if you look back at, at Galatians 3.1, Paul begins with kind of a rebuke. He says, uh, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? you know, the J.B. Phillips translation is, O oh, you dear idiots. In other words, like, who has bewitched you? Who has cast this spell on you that you've been so confused about something so central as the crucifixion of Christ and faith in him alone? And he goes on and he says in verse one, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It was set forth, the speaking of Jesus, the preaching of Jesus was set forth in such a clear way, Paul's saying, that it's as if it was placarded publicly like a billboard. It was as obvious as if you were standing there seeing the crucifixion of Jesus when you heard by faith and you believed by the power of the Spirit. You know, I mentioned in, in passing last week that the crucifixion didn't happen in a place where really probably any of these Galatians would have seen it. Very few of them would have been, if any, would have been down in Jerusalem when Jesus was arrested, when Jesus was beaten, when he was tried, when he was hung on the cross. Very few would have them, if any, would have been there when, they, when the resurrection would have happened and to see the joy of the earliest disciples. And so someone might be tempted, you might be here this morning, and you might be tempted to say something like what Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus said. You remember this, the scene after Jesus had risen from the dead? The other disciples had seen him, but Thomas hadn't yet seen him. And so Thomas essentially says, unless I put my fingers in his hands and his feet where his wounds are, for myself, I'll never believe. But then when he did see Jesus, here's what Jesus said to him. John twenty twenty nine. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. So every time then that Paul was preaching the gospel in Gentile lands to people who had not seen Jesus physically on the cross, 
even though they, when they, he was proclaiming it, they were hearing, and it was as if, through the eyes of faith and through the, the scripture, they were hearing and they were seeing in such a way that they were b- believing. You know, it's been that way for 2,000 years. Obviously, none of us were there when Jesus was crucified. And yet, Paul says, we can see him plainly through the pages of scripture. And when we see him clearly and plainly, we can believe. And so if you're here this morning and you're essentially saying, I don't know what I believe. And I certainly don't know what is the importance of a man who hung on a cross almost 2,000 years ago or over 2,000 years ago. What importance does that have for me? I would encourage you to just ask the simple question and maybe make it a prayer and say, God, would you show me the importance of the cross Would you help me to see it as clearly as if I had been standing there and understood all of its meaning? I think that's a prayer God will answer. But Paul here, he's he's not really kind of making a point. He's starting there with the crucifixion, but he's driving at a point. And to get at the point he's driving at, I want you to notice there's four questions he's going to ask, the rhetorical questions. Look at verse two. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So did you receive the spirit by works of the law, by obedience, by obeying what the law said, or by hearing about Jesus and trusting him by faith? Verse three, asked another rhetorical question. Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, are you now obeying the law, seeking to be perfected by the law? Verse four, did you suffer so many things in vain? Now, this is kind of a vague question, but really it's, it's Paul, he, he's essentially saying, has the spirit not worked in you in such a way and, and carried you forward even in the midst of suffering and because you've believed in Jesus that now you're, you're turning away from him? Have you believed all these things in vain? He asks his fourth question, verse five, Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? All of these are pointing to the connection between the spirit at work and hearing by faith. And what Paul's doing is he's going back to the basics in order to show that though they've been tempted to believe and by these false teachers, what they've been tempted to believe about the law, it can't be true because they didn't receive the spirit by the law. The, the law came like he'll say later in the chapter as I read the chapter and it was a guardian. It was like a teacher that oversaw us until the promise of Christ could be fulfilled. And so in those long centuries before between the promise to Abraham and, between, and its fulfillment in Jesus, that promise was being guarded by the law. But the spirit, the spirit, though he was present and working in the Old Testament, he wasn't working in the hearts of people because that's a result of the new covenant. That's a result of the promise. And so the death and the resurrection of Jesus make, make having a new heart and having the spirit dwelling within us as ourselves as the temple of the Holy Spirit, it makes it possible. So the old covenant is full of promises, but it was pointing us to the new covenant, which was enacted with Jesus' death and his resurrection. And when we believed in Jesus, Paul's reminding them, when you believed in Jesus, you received the Spirit. And so the contrast here should be evident in what Paul's trying to say. He's trying to make it evident to them. It might not be as evident to us. He's trying to say, look, 
you weren't made alive by the law previously. And so you didn't receive the spirit through the law previously. Why do you think now you can go back to the law and somehow have something that you didn't have before? You have the spirit. You have the fulfillment of the promise. It's been fulfilled in you. The law never made alive. The law only condemned. Like the law showed, here's what you must do. Every single person, we, though we would try to meet the law, every single person, every righteous Jew, every Pharisee, every person that would be alive today, no one is able to fulfill the law's demands. No one is able to do it perfectly. And so the law condemns those who don't believe, who believe Sorry, the law condemns those who hear the law and realize they can't hold it, to hold to it. They can't obey it. So like we said at the beginning, the way into the Christian life is the way on in the Christian life. And so Paul's wanting them to see the way into the Christian life is by the power of the spirit, by faith in Christ alone. Now, verse three That's the question that really would have jolted the Galatians into seeing his point. He's saying, look, if you've begun by the spirit, if you've been a part of the, a part of the church, because the spirit of God has been working in you, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You know, it's a jolting question because it should, it should be um, jolting anyone who's trusting in themselves, who's saying, I'm good enough. I'm righteous enough. I can obey enough. I can do enough. I can see the law and I can obey and I'm better than that person and compare ourselves. All of those things, if somebody is trusting in themselves to, for, to accomplish spiritual birth, they'll all ultimately be condemned. And so Paul's saying, look, you began by the spirit, by faith in Christ. Don't turn back to the law and try to be perfected by the law. You know, I heard a great illustration from uh, Davy Chu at, at Naperville Presbyterian. And he said, what this would be, would be like would be as if you got on this 747 and you took off on this 747 and you got up to cruising altitude. And when you're up at cruising altitude, you, you kind of walk up to the cabin. They somehow let you into the cabin and you say to the pilots, look, guys, I'll take it from here. And you go back into the back and somehow you've kind of rigged up a contraption with a bicycle with kind of these pulleys and levers that are going to kind of connect to the turbines. And you're just going to start trying to pedal as fast as you can to keep that 747 in the air. You know, it's absurd. It would, obviously, it would never work. It, but that's what Paul's trying to get across. Look, it's so absurd that you've begun by the spirit. You've gotten up to cruising altitude and that's all by the spirit. You didn't obey enough to make that happen. It's the spirit's work in you. So now why are you trying to be perfected by the flesh? Why are you trying to work really hard and think it's all about you? It began by the spirit and it continues by the spirit. Now we're going to come back to this as we keep going through Galatians, because it's really important to Paul's point, the ministry of the Holy spirit. You know, think about these verses, chapter five, verse 16. I don't know if I put these on the board or not. Um, Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 518, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Chapter five, verse 25, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. 
And so this is a theme we're gonna keep coming back to and that Paul's gonna keep helping us to see that the way into the Christian life is the way onto the Christian life as well. It's not just what we do, it's not as if God makes us alive and then it's up to us to keep ourselves alive. He makes us alive, he keeps us alive, and he brings us to glory. And so to summarize here, Paul's letting them know, obedience to the law doesn't bring the spirit. How did you receive the spirit? Through faith in Jesus alone. Which incidentally, I think this also speaks to even today when there's some false teaching out there that would teach this, that the spirit comes by a secondary experience as if you can be a Christian, but you don't yet have the Holy Spirit. But when you really get spiritual enough, when you start to speak in tongues, when you start to do these spiritual things, then you get the second blessing of the spirit. That's decidedly against what Paul's teaching here. It's, it's not about being spiritual enough. It's not about reaching a higher life. It's not about what we can do by our effort. It's that we began by the Spirit and we continue by the Spirit. So that's the first statement, that people who have faith in Jesus have received the Spirit. And so if this was that board book, you'd push the button and the, uh, the faith in Jesus and you have received the Spirit, that would light up there. But let's look at the second statement because it really helps to explain the second. Statement number two, people who have faith in Jesus are the children of Abraham. Now you might have noticed when I was reading this, this whole chapter, there's a lot of talk about Abraham. And so let's go back to verses five through seven. And Paul, this is where Paul starts to give the example about Abraham. And the reason why he goes to Abraham, and now Abraham's really foundationally important. And Paul knows that obviously. And he's doing it, he's going to Abraham in order to prove the point that he's making. That it's not obedience to the law that justifies someone. It's hearing by faith. So look at verse five. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know that then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now Paul's going back to the very beginning of the book of Genesis back to the very beginning of the story of God in scripture. And so we could say that the story of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, from very beginning to the very end is a story about how God is a redeemer who delivers his people out of sin and who brings them back for his glory. You know, there's a lot of ways we could say it, but all of that happens through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Abraham is really important because he's this first example and he's this main example that's shown throughout scripture of the man of faith, the man and woman of faith, Abraham and Sarah. And so Abram, as he was called then, and Sarai were living in the land of Ur. They were pagans and God appeared to them and God said, go to the land that I show you he makes them a promise that you will have, and you'll be a nation, you'll have a, there'll be a blessing, and I'll give to you a land. And so he makes this promise to Abraham, and the rest of the Old Testament, really, and into the New, is the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham that he had made. But what's important for us to see that, uh, this morning from Galatians chapter 3 is God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham believed him by faith, and it says, God credited to him that faith as righteousness. So Abraham believed God, 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, with the Jewish people, Abraham was central to the Jewish identity, so much so that during Jesus' time and during Paul's day, they were obsessed with who is the true son of Abraham. They, They took great pride of being descended from Abraham and over and against the Gentiles who were not descended from him. But John the Baptist in Matthew 3, John the Baptist, he he warns them and he says this, he says, don't presume to say to yourselves, we we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And so the Jews of Jesus' day, they had misplaced pride in ethnic identity rather than faith in God and in his promises like Abraham had. So what Paul is doing here in Galatia is he's teaching these probably mostly Gentile Christians who are being led astray by these Jewish false teachers that they, if they want to, um, when, they, when he's hearing that they want to add the law to faith in Christ, what Paul is saying is saying, no, 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 you don't get it. It's not obedience to the law that makes you a son of Abraham. It's faith just like Abraham. And just like the promise that would be made to Abraham that he would bless all nations, all peoples could glory in him. So that is the faith that honors God in Christ. So look at verse seven. Here's the key. He says, know then, in other words, pay attention that those of faith are the, who are, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those of faith. Now he's defining what that faith is in. And he's going on in verse eight. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And so his plan from beginning to end was to bring about all peoples, not just of the Jewish nation, not just in Israel, but blessing to all the earth. Like the waters cover the sea, so will his glory be made known to all peoples through Christ. Listen to verse 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So if you have faith in Jesus here this morning, you are what the scripture would call a true son of Abraham that you have faith in Jesus and that he, you are a part of the blessing to all nations. All of us here, as we put our faith in Jesus, we are part of this na- na- all nations global expansion of the good news of Jesus. And now that Jesus has come, Paul's wanting to remind them, the law has served its purpose. It's come to, the law has served its pers- purpose to bring us and to deliver us to Christ. And so, Galatian teachers who are teaching you must obey the law and the circum- and circumcision and all these ceremonial aspects, you're wrong, Paul says. That's not the point anymore. That was to bring us to Jesus. Now we have faith in Jesus. Now we go on in the Christian life. And so, Paul's proving that if someone has the law, they don't have the spirit. But if they have faith in Jesus, they have the spirit of God. Now, here's why this is important for us today. What this should do is it should start to remind us and it should kind of, it should be an open invitation that we remember that it doesn't matter where you're from. 
It doesn't matter your ethnic background. It doesn't matter your economic background, your family background, any, your educational, anything we could kind of insert in there that we would try to take pride in and think, well, God would surely love me. Look at, and we hold out this area. That God gave his son so that anybody from anywhere, that nobody's from nowhere, that people who think they're great, people who know they're not great, that all peoples would come to the end of themselves and say, I need a savior. I can't do this on my own. And they cling to Jesus. And so it doesn't matter where you're from or who you are. You have nothing to bring to God. And so if you're trusting in your own prideful resources, the call to you today is to lay those down. Now, likewise, if you're discouraged here because you don't feel like I don't have anything, I'm not from a good family, I'm not from a good background, I'm not from a, and we just kind of all the things we would put in the not, 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 not. And we get so discouraged or depressed when we look around and think, do I fit? According to Paul, the answer is yes, because you have faith in Jesus. You're an heir according to promise. You belong in his kingdom. Now, secondly, I think what this should do for us is it should bring great assurance. It should bring great assurance to us. Now, let me let me kind of tell you an illustration that gets out the reason why we should feel assurance uh, when we're tempted to kind of self-justify. Now, it doesn't remember, it doesn't really matter the sport, but when a team gets popular, there's always a sort of loyalty test that starts to happen. You know, it's kind of a band to find out who's the real fan and who are the, the bandwagon jumpers. You know, oh yeah, well, I've liked the Cubs since I was four. Well, my first words were, go Cubs, go. Oh yeah, well, my mom gave birth and she waited till the seventh inning stretch and so I could be there, we're born in this Wrigley Field. Oh yeah, well, and you just kind of keep going on and on and on. And yet, it's happening with, you know, it's happening with the White Sox now. Somebody's gonna jump on that bandwagon, though I don't know why they would. Somebody will. If the Bears ever get good, people will do that. But here's the, here's the problem with that. Look, what that points out, all of us do that in some way. What that points out is that right at the core of our human heart, there is this desire to self-justify. We, we want to show reasons. We want to essentially say, I, there are reasons why I'm a true Christian. A, a kind of a, we want to give our pedigree. We want to talk about how long we've been Christians. And, and the good, for the Jews in Galatia, it was that somebody was going to take the extra mile. Oh yeah, well, I'm going to obey the law of Moses. I'm going to be circumcised. And they keep going on and on and on. What Paul's going to great lengths to show here is we are children of Abraham through faith alone and it levels the playing field. Now that's going to be demonstrated outwardly to other people, but what it should encourage us and why it should give us such great assurance is no one is acceptable by what they do, which it should bring great assurance when we realize how far short, how short we all fall, regardless of the person, it should assure us, but I have faith in Christ and I belong to him. I'm his. He will carry me home. He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What that means is what he begins with, the way into the Christian life is the way onto the Christian life. So these are the two statements here that Paul's making. The spirit comes through faith in Christ and he's using it as an argument against these false teachers. And those who have faith in Christ are true children of Abraham. 
Now, I want us to very briefly look at two conclusions that Paul draws in, Cal- in Galatians chapter 3. Two conclusions. And we could, if you're taking notes, you could just write curse and blessing. Curse and blessing. Look at Galatians. And the first one is, there is a curse for those who rely on the law. Key word there is rely on the law. Galatians 3.10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, now when we read a story and we read about uh, being under a curse, we're usually told a couple different things. First, how did that curse come to be? And second, how can that curse be broken? You know, Snow White was cursed because the the wicked witch was jealous of her beauty, and so she was cursed when she ate the poison apple. You know, Narnia was under a curse of perpetual winter because the white witch wanted to keep her silver apples in bloom from uh, from blooming because if they bloomed, she wasn't able to exert her influence in Narnia, and so she had it always be winter, the curse of always winter and never Christmas. Well, at the beginning of Galatians, Paul said that, look, this gospel that we preach to you, even if somebody, an angel or somebody else preaches a different gospel, let them be accursed. And what he's showing here is, is the cursed preacher is preaching a cursed truth, a truth that brings a curse on people. And the curse is if somebody relies on the law, they're cursed because they're never going to be able to obey it perfectly. And so it's laying out this thing and it's saying, do this and you will live. And in fact, they know it's a sham. They know they will never be able to do that if they're a false teacher and they're calling people to find life in the law in Galatia, they will never find that life. It's, they're never going to get out of that doom loop. But so that's the curse. Now then let's turn and let's end here with, with blessing, how the curse might be undone. There is, here's how we might say it. There is blessing through the acceptance of the one who was cursed through us, for, for us. Sorry. There is blessing through the one who was cursed for us. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So notice there, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You know, behind that word there is, it could be translated, Christ liberated us. It has the connotation of buying someone out of slavery. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul will say that Christ does this in order to adopt us as his children. And so you've been liberated from, you have the blessing of being liberated from the curse by the one who took the curse for you so that you could be adopted into his family and enjoy being an heir. And all of that is by faith. And so how he did it is he took on the curse for us. And I think in context here, he took on the curse, the curse where we couldn't obey enough. And so we were cursed by the law. Jesus took the curse upon himself and he is the perfectly righteous man. He always obeyed. And so why is it important that Jesus was sinless? Because Jesus is able to perfectly keep the law where we can't. 
Jesus is the perfectly obedient law keeper. Jesus is the true Israelite, the way that they could never be. And so Jesus, since we're united with him, like we saw last week in Galatians 2.20, that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but him who lives through me. Because we're united with him, we can enjoy the life that he has now in the resurrection. And so here's the point that we're left with. If you try and earn your way to God, you're going to only demonstrate how cursed you are. But if you turn to the one who was cursed for you, and he was cursed because he was like one who was cursed, like it was said in Deuteronomy, like one hung on a tree was cursed. Except this curse is the road into blessing because he took our sin upon himself and he gave to us his righteousness. He gave to him us his blessing. And so the way into the Christian life is the way on, to, on in the Christian life. We receive the spirit, we're made alive, we're united with Christ by faith. We're righteous. So here's the good news we'll end with. You're blessed not by anything that you have, not by the size or presence of a family, not by any career that you do, not by whether you are single or married, how much you read the Bible, how much you pray, how much you go to church, how much you give, you're blessed only if you've been redeemed through the curse that you are under. And that blessing comes only by faith in Jesus. This is the point that Paul's been try, trying to make in Galatians 3 and say, don't turn back to these false teachers. Don't listen to this law that they're preaching. Find life in Christ. And so this is a simple truth that could be described in a little board book for children. And yet, it's so profound, we'll spend all of eternity exploring its depths and delighting in Christ's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace that you have shown us in Jesus. Thank you that we can see that from Galatians 3 that we have no righteousness of our own. We thank you that we can come to you by faith. You have made us children. You have made us heirs. Oh, Father, I pray that for us as a church that we would delight in this truth that we would delight in the good news of Jesus and that we would cling to him by faith. Would you help us to grow in the year ahead in our faith in Christ? May you get the glory we ask. Amen.